0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Today's program was brought to you by Fiji Water and Patina Events at Brooklyn Botanic Garden, an idyllic location for weddings, corporate events, and parties of any style. Visit us at patinaevents.com.
2: Ever heard of a popcorn-driven robot? This week on Meet and Three, we're bringing you stories about the intersection of food and tech.
0: We're interested in building swarms of many cheap, small robots and powering them and driving them forward with as little effort and as little energy as possible.
2: We cover tech by land. Imagine if you could cut fresh microgreens onto your salad and eat it while the greens are still fresh and nutritious and delicious and alive. That dream is real. We cover tech by sea.
0: We're building software-based business services to help shellfish growers uh, manage and grow their business.
2: And we cover tech in the social media stratosphere. So it's not really necessarily an indictment on food media or, or media consumption at all. It's really it's it's how the robots decided they were going to wait human interaction. Tune in and get techie this week on Meet and Three. Available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Moxie Rosenbloom. My dad, Harry Rosenbloom, hosts Feast Your Ears on Heritage Radio Network. Right now, HRN is having a summer membership drive. Becoming a member is so easy, and you'll help support shows like my dad's. You can sign up for a one-time donation or become a monthly sustaining member by visiting donate. Let's keep food radio on the airwaves this summer. Hello, this is your host, Dana Cowan, and you're listening to Speaking Broadly on Heritage Radio Network. Each week, I interview an extraordinary person who works in the food industry to learn about their challenges, their successes, and how they got to the remarkable place that they are today. My guest on this show is a cookbook author and Instagram star who embodies the sunny California lifestyle. If you want to know how to win at social media, Or the easy dinner party game, or even the best way to find a husband—you are (laughs) totally going to want to listen in. And if you like what you hear, please subscribe on Speaking Broadly to Speaking Broadly on iTunes, Stitcher, or Heritage Radio Network. So, welcome, Gabby, and I, Gabby Dalkin, who the first time I met her, I was like, "Gabby!" And she very sweetly was like. (laughs) Gabi.
3: It's just like the last 30 years of my life have been like that. I
2: I correct everybody. Did you ever think, Mom, like, what were you doing? Or did you name yourself Gabi and she sort of called you Gabrielle?
3: No, I was always Gabriella, But as a kid, I couldn't pronounce it, so I'd call myself Bobby. (laughs) And so I think the switch from Bobby to Gabi is really natural. Like, it's just, you just flip the beginning, even though it's spelled differently. I don't know. It's just,
2: whatever. I'm German. It's weird. (laughs) Well... I will never forget. <laughs> so there's that.
1: Thank and,
2: you. And um, I mean, in my life, I actually have a very funny Dana, Dana thing. Yeah. Because my, I, my name is Dana. But uh, in the food world, there is someone named Dana Bowen. And so, oh. but we look the same if it's typed... Um, you know, or written. And so people will come up to me and say, I'm really excited about the, the dynamite shop, which is something that Dana Bone is opening. <laughs> and I'm like, I think you've got the wrong, wrong D-A-N-A. <laughs> <laughs> so um, anyway, really, really happy to have you here. Thank you. I'm and, happy to be here. And you're in the middle of um, a cookbook tour, yes. which you still have so much energy, which I admire having done one myself. <laughs> and um, your, your cookbook is called What's Agabi Cooking Every Day?, california food and i think that like when i think about you and i think about your food it's more of a mental image than anything else that comes up because it's like bright and happy and cheerful and of course it's lots of avocados (laughs) and lazy girl enchiladas and really decadent desserts and fun holiday foods like you are the lazy girl's best friend But I think more than that, you are the human embodiment of sunshine. Thank you. um, And so I just, I want to talk about something abstract before we get to something specific, which is, I'm always mystified by people who are sunshine (laughs) encapsulated, (laughs) whether it's in books or food recipes. Fair enough. Um, Does it, is it something in the sunlight in Arizona where you grew up? Is it something in having, you know, an artistic mother, like, have you always been so sunny?
3: I have. And I had this conversation with my parents recently because I was on a trip to Ethiopia and the guy I was with, the guy that was taking me was like, "What? I have four daughters. Like, why are you so happy and like bright and have a positive outlook?" And I'm like, "I don't know, I should ask my mom." So I called <laughs> her when I got home and she was like, "It's just we just, you know, kind of forced you to be that way like if something was wrong you had to go fix it and like pick yourself up and go talk to your friend who you just got in a fight with at school because you're seven years old and that's what happens and i think yes like the sunshine definitely has an effect on it living in arizona for the first 18 years and then california um i thrive when it's sunny and i can be outside i don't have a car so i walk everywhere okay
2: I was stunned. Um, we're going to get to that because not having a car is very important to me. Yeah. But we'll come back to that. So
3: I just feel like all of that kind of helps me. I'm outside a lot. Like, I like to smile and I like to say hi. It's my favorite to say hi to people on the side of the street. And they're like, what's going on? Why are you speaking to me? And I just think it's I think it's hysterical. And I don't take myself too seriously, which
2: helps. I, I'm interested in the smile and the hello. Mm-hmm. My husband is a helloer, mm-hmm. and I... And he says hello to everybody. I mean, every busboy that walks by, every table in every restaurant, so and sweet. and the server, and the chef, yeah, and the other guests. He's like, "Hello," and but every time, <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, "That's a little distracting." They don't actually expect it, right? No, uh, nobody does these days. No, but do you feel like it changes? Like it just. It, Allows you to continue to exude a positive energy and sometimes you get it back and sometimes you don't. Yeah, and I think most of the times you don't, but
3: then like a couple seconds later, they're, they like turn around and they just are very confused by what happens because we live so much on our phones and on our computers, like no one's talking to each other anymore. And I just think
2: it's good to like splash a little sunshine onto people's days. Uh, it reminds me of Ellen Bennett and her hug Ugh. theory. Oh, yeah. I mean, we all love Ellen. We do. But (laughs) Ellen's a hugger. Yep. And it doesn't, you know, she just comes barreling at you and she will say, (laughs) I'm a hugger. Okay, so with the smiling. That was a great impression (laughs) of her. (laughs) Um, With the smile, it's a little bit less. You don't have to ask to smile. Yeah. You can just uh, smile away. And I
3: just think it's really nice to, you know, people have really tough lives and there's things going on. And if you have one second of sunshine from someone, that's pretty nice. Like, I'm happy I can do that for someone
2: when you were developing the brand you you talk about how it took you a little bit of time to find your voice oh yeah and i'd love to go back to that you started your blog in 2009 mm-hmm. and I'm amused by the stated purpose, which I don't know if it's actually true or not, but to make people jealous about like yeah. what, what you were cooking and what they weren't eating. For sure. <laughs> well,
3: I was in culinary school, and I was the pickiest eater growing up. No exaggeration. I ate buttered noodles until I was probably 19 years old. I didn't try a steak until I was in high, my senior year of high school. Um, and so why did you decide to stop being a picky eater? I went to culinary school. But my, why'd you go to culinary
2: school? if You're such a picky eater.
3: Because I, so I graduated, I was pre-med in college for the first three years, then switched over to business because I got to OChem and I was like, I called my dad who's a doctor. I'm like, this isn't going to work. <laughs> I'm not following in your footsteps. <laughs> I, so I went, organic
2: chemistry, I'm yeah, guessing.
3: Nope. Hard pass. Yeah. Um, so after college I graduated with a business degree and I got a job in LA and the company folded six months in and this was in 2008 and I was like I don't want another job yet I don't know what I want to do I just want to go learn how to cook like for me but why from for me like for my husband like I didn't know I wanted to be able to entertain I do like feeding people and I like bringing people together over a table but I had no intention of remaining in the food world and so I started the blog and culinary school and I got a job as a private chef all within probably 10 days of each other
2: okay how did you get a job as a private chef fake it till you make it wow
3: they're like we love fish and i'm like that's great me too i had never cooked fish in my life (laughs) i had just tried it in school so um were they very forgiving like were you making mistakes along the way for sure the first time i made miso black cod it was the ugliest (laughs) like most limp piece of fish i've ever seen in my entire (laughs) life i can't believe they didn't fire me but it, I think being a private chef is also very much about your personality in someone's kitchen and if you fit into their family. And they were German, and we had very similar upbringings, and their kids loved me, so it it worked out. They excused my ugly Muso black god. <laughs> because I think you, you went – I'm thinking you'd be the nanny, and you ended up being right.
2: the – the, the right chef. when I
3: interviewed, I was interviewing for the nanny position. and I told them, "Here's my culinary school schedule." They're like,
2: "Swap that." I was like, "Can I charge more?" And I was like, "Done." <laughs> uh, I can. Oh, that business school education really yeah, came in really handy. Really came <laughs> in handy. I can charge you more. But you you went on to uh, work for Stars, right? Yeah. You worked for Jessica Simpson. Yes, I was her
3: chef for a couple years, and then this other family I started with in Malibu, and then like a few, I cooked for Carmelo Anthony and some other random people here and there.
2: Um, I'm sure you're under a really strict NDA, but is there anything that doesn't fall under the NDA about, like, cooking for these stars?
3: um, Well, I think I did sign NDAs for all of them, but, like, I have never cooked for a jerk. Like, Jessica's quite possibly the nicest human on the planet. Carmelo, I I love people who like to eat, and he just, like, shoveled it down, and I'm like, we're basically new best friends now. (laughs) We'll probably never see each other again, but, like, this one moment was
2: amazing. What is that like, like, cooking for someone? Because it is so intimate you're in their kitchen, you're really in their house, you're in their life, you're supposed to be invisible, I imagine. You feed them food, but do you feel like, I want to be your best friend, can we be best friends later? Yeah, well, so it's different. So
3: I cooked for a head of a TV studio and his wife for a little bit of time, and that was very like, you're invisible, you're not part of this family. I cooked for them for three weeks and I quit because it was so awful. I don't think that's what food is about. But with Jess and this family in Malibu, just I like that Jess. Yeah, like I was very much part of their families and we would like sit down and have lunch together and talk and gossip. And when I was getting married, I went on my bachelorette party and Jess sent me to Vegas with like all these clothes and shoes and she just wanted me to have the best time. Like it was more... Um, she has a lot of people around her that are very good friends of hers from like youth, and so I was lucky enough to fit right into that. Um, but my other in Malibu, my Malibu clients were very similar in that regard, so I was very much a part of their family. We would vacation together, you know, together
2: stuff. like not just you were along, um, no, like but we'd it was go your vacation. Too? Yeah,
3: the people in Malibu have this like fat chateau up in Mammoth, and we would just go up and go skiing. I mean, I would say I'm cooking dinner because. I don't want, like, I want to cook in this incredible, like, French kitchen, but I wasn't
2: working. Was there anything about working for these awesome people that helped you define the style that you have today? Like, the way that Carmelo, my good friend Carmelo, (laughs) um, and your good friend Jess, like, the way that they eat, did it help define California style to you? Or did it help you sort of test like what do real people want to eat every night
3: yeah so Jess eats very similar to me in the fact that we both grew up kind of like she was in Texas I was in Arizona we like Tex-Mex style food which which has like a lot of California components but the most influential person on the way I cook now is Simone my boss that was at the Malibu place she is like the chicest but most casual Malibu mom and would have 30-40 people over every Sunday night for family dinner they weren't family but we called it family dinner and I would just cook everything I'd go to the farmer's market I'd go pick up some meat I'd do tri-tip all the salads and sides and it was just so casual and even me who was cooking for 40 people never felt stressed and so I tried to take that and infuse that into my brand and my book
2: so people can do the same thing. Um, I am not a relaxed cook. Mm -hmm. And I'm really unhappy to say I'm not a relaxed hostess. Okay. Um, I've gotten so, so, so much better over time. Mm -hmm. Um, Part of the origin of my not relaxedness is that I make mistakes all the time, which is the basis of my book, you know, mastering my mistakes in the kitchen. But part of it is I want it all to be perfect. And coming from that food and wine background, the expectations people have are very high. And, you know, there was one uh, person who once said, I thought the food would be better here, which (gasps) is, yeah, it was so... Annoying. Appalling. Sort of appalling. She said that like on a public panel years later and I was like, oh my God, I'm never <laughs> I'm like, never cooking for you ever again. But um, I've now figured it out because I actually serve everything room temperature. That's I will the best. I will never um, sort of a piping hot meal, like unless it's a, a stew. Yeah. Uh, but what are your keys to not stressing? Because you must have that way down.
3: Yeah, I do. Well, because when I, for Jessica, I would go over and shop for four or five people and then 37 people would show up for dinner. So you have to be able to switch on a dime. So I always have pantry things stocked. Like you can always make a pasta with different things if I have like a surprise guest. But I, I, do, I do like the room temperature rule. I like um, doing one main course like doing tri-tip or whole roasted salmon or something like that and then doing tons of side dishes because those can all be made hours ahead of time and no one will know um and then I think it's really about plating like making things beautiful and people just get so excited because they eat with their eyes first and you call it a day and, and lots of wine <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay let, let's go down the plating road because I love plating okay and a friend of mine had 25 people over for dinner last night she was a relaxed hostess because she was like she texted me at about three thirty. Hey, do you think you could come over early to do some staging and plating? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "That's a friend for.
1: That's right, and she's my best friend. And I'm like,
2: actually, com- I was, com- I was like, honored, thrilled, delighted to, yeah. to go do it. And I sorted through all her platters, and I, she had a variety of colors, variety of sizes, variety of shapes, but I only picked blue and white. Which yeah, is like, I know you're quite. We'll get to blue and white in a minute, but um, you know, that was the key to my plating i only did things in blue and white yeah killed everything else the i used white bowls and she was like but they're not my fancy white bowls i'm like but they match the blue and white theme right. she's like but can't i use this thing with a gold rim and like these cute bees on it and it's hand thrown and you know the potter and i'm like no it's not she's on like, brand it's not on my, and she said are you sure and i'm like i'm totally sure like, if you're gonna, <laughs> i
3: know what i'm doing if you're gonna leave this in my hands
2: actually like no you're not using the bee you're not <laughs> using the B guilt thing with all the, the blue and light I've selected. But um, what are your so, and then I piled it. I was like, I am cha- channeling Otolenge. I am going to be an Otolenge display. Otolenge mm-hmm. being um, this. I'm incredible bright, um, guy in, in London who has uh, many cookbooks and you walk in and that eating with your eyes thing like piled high with food so, cool. uh, so I made these pyramids of the roasted vegetables because I could have used a larger tray and yeah. it was flat but I'm like pyramid style what's your style like I, how to, how... I'm
3: into piles and Matt and Adam are Matt and Adam are my two best friends they're married Matt is a food photographer Matt Armendaris Adam is a food stylist Adam Pearson and they I pile like when I do a recipe for cheese or snack all these different things my instructions are just piles <laughs> like p-i-l-e-s period and they're like oh my god we're gonna kill you we can't pile any more things like stop give us something new to do but I think it's really approachable for people to do Like, you don't have to tweeze anything or arrange anything so artistically. You just have to throw things out there. And I also like doing things on smaller bowls and making it feel really abundant. Because then no one's worried about taking the last scoop or, you know, is there going to be enough? I just want everyone to be
2: really comfortable. And what about the – and then we're going to have to get off this topic. (laughs) (laughs) um, But the mix and match. So I was counseling my, um, you know, good friend Cheryl. I'm like, well – you need to take care of vegans and you you need to have different colors and yeah. you need to have enough variety and you don't have to have a grain but you need some grain to be filling and um and she ended up <laughs> she ended up with too much food <laughs> but uh but how do you feel about the number of things that you need to serve for like a dinner
3: i think It's dependent on how many people are coming over and if they all are – if some are vegan or gluten-free or dairy-free or whatever, I feel like that's so – prevalent in my life i have a lot of people that have different allergies so you know if six people are coming over i'll make eight to nine things um and i'm as a private chef my greatest fear is running out of food so i would always rather have more and i love a leftover so if it's leftover fine like i think it's better but but again like doing things that you can prep ahead of time so you're not stressed out up until the minute everybody walks in the door
2: And I suppose having a really great set of plates, you know, that that are just ready. And having those ready the day before, like we were going through the cabinets. I'm like, where's a flat platter? Where's a kind of round platter? Where's a tall platter? Where's the blue platter? Do you have any... And, you know, d- pulling those things out in advance. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I've had, my
3: mom's a ceramicist. Oh. I've had her start making me plates, and I have them in a specific cabinet in my house. So that way I know everything's right there. There's no, like, I've got the plates, I've got the serving platters, I've got all this stuff ready to roll.
2: Let's talk about you know, the source of creativity. Do you feel like it, you know, it trickles down in the family Because, well, you were saying that your family is a lot of doctors. Yes. So maybe that's precision. Well,
3: yes. My mom is an artist, which I think is, and she's also a gardener. Neither one of those were, came to me. I have a black thumb. I will kill everything. And I can't like sit on a wheel and make pottery to save my life. But I am creative in the kitchen. My dad, on the other hand, just no one in my family eats to, they all eat to live. No one lives to eat. So everyone's like, where did you come from? Like for sure an alien, like one (laughs) hundred percent. So it's weird. Like there are different. I don't know. I don't know if it came from. I don't know if it trickled down for me. Yeah.
2: (laughs) An alien that. But uh, well, they're so lucky to have you know the alien that you turn. Oh yeah. What
3: Thanksgiving they're all pumped because they just get to sit (laughs) on the couch. I'm like, can someone peel some
2: apples for apple crisp,
3: please? I need a
2: little help. One of the things that I love about um, your style is its simplicity. And uh, when you – every picture I've seen of you, you're in white and blue, which is (laughs) why it goes back to the white and blue.
3: Especially the last six months, I planned it like that. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Like, what's the deal?
3: Okay, well, Matt, my best friend – uh, when we were taught, cause if, if I had my way in life, I would just wear yoga clothes all the time. Like,
2: is it true that you have 40 yoga, pair of yoga pants? Oh,
3: I just got three more last weekend in Vancouver. My husband's about to disown me. I have a sick problem, but I just want, it's, why is that? I just love them. Yeah. They're so comfortable. And I feel like you can, you can dress them up and you can dress them down. You can work out in them. You can go for a, I, well, but here's, they're yoga pants. here's what it is though. I don't have a car. So like, I, I don't want to walk for four miles in jeans. Right? Right. So um, so, anyways, Matt was like, you cannot wear yoga pants to your book events. Like, you have to put something else on. And I'm like, I'm traveling for essentially three months in a row. How on earth am I going to do that? And, like, I don't have access to a laundry machine. I refuse to pay hotels to do my laundry because I'm not paying $20 for my underwear to be washed. <laughs> and so he's like, you have to pack in a color theme. And, like, you have tons of jeans. God, love Matt. And white's, are like, the best color. And so everything has to be blue and white. And, like, denim and navy and I was like, easy. And everything this season is are those colors anyway. So I just went to Bloomingdale's and bought everything and called it a day.
2: (laughs) Since you're since you're um you know a yoga pant expert. Yeah. Yeah. Um do you have a high low choice?
3: Um, I wear predominantly, I would say 95% of my Lululemon, or Lululemon's, I'm, Lululemon, I'm trying to get them to sponsor my life. I don't think it's ever going to happen, but in my, that would be like my ultimate goal.
2: Do they know that? No, they
3: have no idea who I am.
2: (laughs) Copy. Hello, Lululemon. Call Lululemon. they don't
3: care about me. Um, I, those are, I kind of just wear those. If I'm going real fancy, I'll get the aloe yoga yoga pants, but I, they're like $30 more than Lululemon,
2: and sometimes I can't bring myself to do that. I just, I needed to know that. that not <laughs> driving a car. So, yeah. um, is it because you don't drive? It's because you're economical? It's because you're lazy?
3: So, I drive. I take my husband's car whenever I need it. Um... I just don't like it, especially in L.A. There You can't park anywhere you have to valet. And I think valet adds so much time onto a trip. Like, I don't want to wait 10 minutes for my car to come back to me when it's time to go. So, And also, now that you can't be on your phone while you're driving, I feel like I'm losing precious time. So I would rather sit in the back of an Uber and go across town and work for half an hour or walk or ride my bike or get some exercise because I also eat enough food to sustain a four hundred pound man, so <laughs> I need to move my legs a lot in order to combat that.
2: <laughs> and it, so you don't find it inconvenient because um, there's always the Uber choice. Your husband has a car, like it's not. Yeah, it's I'm not like you're stranded. being the vegan of a right. of cars. And, well,
3: and actually, when I when I first got rid of it, I did all the calculations because I work from home now. I don't private chef anymore. Um, it's way cheaper for me not to have a car. Like I'm not paying for gas, I'm not paying for insurance. I don't have my monthly car payments. I would, and if I spend two or three hundred dollars in Uber, it's still cheaper than a car payment.
2: Uh, I once had an Uber driver explain that to me. Yeah, and I was like, that's very compelling. Yeah, <laughs> um, I'm, you know, I'm particularly attracted to, the, to knowing this about you because I loathe driving, and I learned to drive at fifty three. So I had a whole life of not driving, not because I wanted to work off like. You know, gigantic meals, but <laughs> because I grew up in New York City, right? And we don't drive, right? I mean, actually, lots of people do, but I, I. The never East
3: Coast in general doesn't really drive. The well, like the Northeast part of the country.
2: Just if you're in a city, like why?
3: Yeah, like it's. I'm doing a book signing in Boston next week, and it's 30 minutes outside the city, and everyone's. I'm like I'm sorry. I there was nowhere to do it in the city. I couldn't. But people just are not into cars sometimes, and I totally I'm with them. I respect it.
2: Yeah. So um, we're going to take a a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the evolution of the Gabi brand and bringing your best friends to work for you, which sounds so magical, and um, how you find such talented people, including. Um, your incredibly talented husband. (laughs) So we'll be right back after the break.
1: The Restaurant Group offers unparalleled service in New York's most iconic locations, including Lincoln Center, Rockefeller Center, and Macy's Herald Square. From meetings and presentations in the glass-walled atrium to galas in the renovated Palm House and intimate wedding showers at Yellow Magnolia Cafe, your event will be perfectly imagined and customized at Brooklyn Botanic Garden. You can also enjoy a la carte brunch and lunch at the picturesque Yellow Magnolia Cafe overlooking Lily Pool Terrace. Chef Rob Newton and chef de cuisine Morgan Jarrett offer warm, distinctive cuisine with a focus on local vegetables, grains, and sustainably sourced meats and fish.
2: Welcome back to Speaking Broadly. This is Dana Cowan, your host, and I'm very excited to have with me Gabby, Dalkin. Gabby, I said it. It's okay. It's okay. (laughs) I said at the beginning of the show that I would never, ever, ever, ever
3: call her Gabby. I'm the only Gabby Gabby in America. Everyone else is a Gabby. It's fine.
2: (laughs) But you didn't have to correct me because I did it myself. We have Gabby with us. And uh, Gabby has an incredibly... Popular book that has been on the number, it's been number one on Amazon since it was published. That is the greatest thing. Congratulations. Thank you.
3: I, I check my Amazon rating every morning. It's a, I have a problem. <laughs> I
2: have a full problem. Uh, yeah. When I checked my Amazon rating, it just, um, you know, it's suggested that maybe I should check once a month. But um, <laughs> but that's it's so great. And I think that the reason it resonates so much is that you have built such a fantastic, loyal following of people who know exactly who you are, why they're going to like you and the book. Thank and, you, you know, want to meet you and get like, you know, little rays of sunshine um, cast upon them. Thank you. And, you know, get some insight, which is so- So great. But it wasn't always that way. No. And um, I want to, there's so many people who would love to start a blog or become known Mm -hmm. or do a a book or have a life in food. And I love your uh, thinking that don't ever do it if you're just trying to make money no because yeah. it's, it's a long road and I know a, a lot of people who are in this space who have said to me like how do you actually make money like they're super successful yeah and the money is actually very slow to come so you have to do it for other reasons you have to, to, to
3: passionate you have to okay. be passionate about it for sure and I I can't tell you I think Not my bridal party, but I would say a handful of the girls I went to high school and college with have seen what I've done. It's like, we're gonna start a lifestyle blog and they quit within three weeks. They're like, why am I not making hundreds of dollars in advertising a day
2: and blah blah blah? And it's it's not feasible. Um well we'll stick with you know, not why they failed because they probably weren't committed, right? You can't do anything for three weeks. You can't even like learn to cut hair for three weeks. No, although you have quit things. Like I was fascinated to see that you quit. Um pastry school. I did. I got a cavity. I was really pissed off about that. And you're like, uh, Cavity No More Pastry School? Yeah, well, here's the thing. Pastry School, the
3: first, it was, I think, a 12-week, 16-week program. The first eight weeks, I really enjoyed, because it was cookies and quick breads and all these things. I actually, the last eight weeks, we got into all the fancy things. And I'm like, I'm never going to make
2: this. Yeah. And I got a cavity. Peace. (laughs) (laughs) I got to (laughs) go. got to go. So so we had talked earlier about how you started. But what I want to talk about now is how you... Um, how you tested, tried, probably not thinking about it exactly that way, but tested and tried a different type of personality. And then how did you come to the one that is yours? Yeah.
3: So when I first started the blog, I was surrounded by, um, it was me and a lot of moms and everybody had kids and I didn't fit in. And so I very much wanted to be, you know, I wanted my blog to be successful. And so I was making recipes for families when I didn't have a family and I didn't really understand it. Um I I wasn't writing very well. I didn't know how to proofread. I didn't know how to write a recipe. Like it's ugly. If you That's go back bad. and look back at the first couple recipes, it's a, have they're not there anymore. <laughs> like I've redone <laughs> so you them. Can't back, yeah. yeah, but I should find some and post them, you know, whatever. It was bad. Um and I was really kind of just like flailing. I didn't know what I stood for and I, I just couldn't figure it out, and then probably three years into What's Gabi Cooking, I sat down with a friend, and she was helping me come up with my brand, because I really wanted to, like, take it to the next level, and I just word vomited to her for about two weeks straight, and we came up with this whole California girl shtick, and... and it, it was so easy. She's like, hmm. you're the California girl. I'm like, well, duh, that can't be, can't be that easy. She's like, no, that's definitely who you are, and like, let's take it and run with it and turn it into something bigger. Um, and we did, but... What what was her background? Like, was she just a smart probably, friend? Do you know Lori Buckle? She was
2: at Better Homes and Gardens and oh, Fine Cooking. This brings us to something that I'm completely fascinated by. Yeah. How did you meet Lori? Uh, Lori and I met through IACP. Which is um, a a culinary group. And you said that's that's like one of the few conferences you go to, but, but Lori is sort of my generation versus your generation, right? We're like 30 years apart, maybe 20 years apart. Yeah. Not 30, not 30. (laughs) That'd be hard. That wouldn't be impossible, but it's probably not true. Uh, But I love that it was Lori, someone who had a ton of experience rather than like a peer who was in the startup mentality and lived that world. So why did you choose her? So Lori was at Better Homes
3: when we met at IACP and she took me under her wing and she's like, I think you should have a column. We want to work with you. And I started writing a quarterly column for BHG and then I started working with advertisers with them. So like if there was someone that wanted to do recipe development and then shoot it in an advertorial campaign in magazine, I would do a lot of that and I would model in it because I'm so beautiful. Um, and She's super cute, people. Know. You
2: can't say that on a and podcast. You're so, like, oh, my God. <laughs> what does that mean?
3: And so and then Lori left. Like she left the magazine world and she moved back to L.A and she was starting a company and she, it was very mutually beneficial. She needed this information that I had and I wanted the information she had and we really just like mind-melded for a year on things. And she has this blossoming company that's just kicking ass and she helped me like take what's got be cooking to the next level. And it's through IACP that we met and I think and I say this to everyone IACP is not my generation. There are very few people there that are under the age of 40, probably. And it's such a shame that more younger people don't go because there's so much incredible connection happening at IACP and people that you just have no idea you need in your life or that you want. And it's just, it's it's two
2: worlds meeting and I think it's really important. I Um, I want to talk about the uh, cross-generation though Mm -hmm. because um, I... I think it's fascinating, and it's missing. Yeah, uh, because there's such an obsession with youth and what's important about what people are doing now. Mm-hmm. And actually, I read this fascinating quote. I was from I think somebody in the ad world who said, you know, "It's how important it is." And this is a bastardization, which makes it sound boring. But mm-hmm. how important it is to to stay current, like to understand what's going on. So. Yeah I get that but the other way like it's important to talk to people who have a lot of expertise Absolutely. so um how was it that y- You are helping her. Like, what was it that you had that she benefited from?
3: Yeah, so Lori was starting, she started a company called Cook It Media, and they represent bloggers, and they work with brands, and they're doing a lot of social media work and developing content on behalf of brands. And so she came from the magazine world and very much needed to understand the digital landscape and how, quote-unquote, bloggers and influencers, even though it's my least favorite word, Hmm. work. And how they work with management companies and how they work with brands and how much do you charge for stuff like this. So I was, a to- I'm an open book to anyone. So mm-hmm. I just told her everything I know and she took it and like mutated it into whatever she wanted to do with cook it. And it's been amazing to watch her grow that. And she has multiple employees now and they represent so many people and they're working with all these cool brands. Um, so it was, v- you know, like she, that's where she was going.
2: And. Uh, And it seems like she listened to you. She listened really hard. Mm -hmm. She also employed you. So actually seeing what you could do made it possible for her to help you even more. Yeah. Because she could see where you would fit in in the overall landscape.
3: Exactly. And I think... Lori thinks. <clears throat> excuse me. I think she thinks about things as you know, coming from the magazine world, working at you worked at Food and Wine. She worked at B H G. Like you think about things in this umbrella brand. Like, is this going to work for our magazine? If is it not, and she's like, you need to think what Scotty Cooking is in the blog anymore. Like, it is basically an online destination slash magazine. Like, you have to think about it more in this in this way. So she brought like. I had never done an editorial calendar or anything like that. Now I plan four to six months out. Um, that's all that kind of stuff she brought from the magazine world into the wet cooking world.
2: And the other way that you sort of professionalized or grew your brand was to bring your two best friends along. Yeah. Come on, dreamy or so, terrible. So know it's the best. I mean, I know it's great for you. Yeah. But I, I also, uh, you know, I think it can go both ways. It can. So... so How did you identify that they were the right ones and that you wouldn't kill each other and that you would be best friends later? Yeah,
3: so Matt and I met probably like eight or nine years ago at a blogging conference and I just loved him. And then I went to a photo workshop with him, met his husband, Adam, and basically just implanted myself into their relationship. I'm like, I'm going to be here for the rest of your lives get used to it. (laughs) And that was probably like eight or nine years ago. And what's copy cooking wasn't making any money back then. So I was doing everything on my own. As soon as what's copy cooking was making, like I had money and I could afford to get, put some of it back into my business. I decided the best use for my money was in my photography because I think everyone eats with their eyes. Like we talked about earlier and you need a visual voice. And so Matt and Adam were the obvious choice. Like, I love them to death. We travel together. We hang out. We drink together. We eat together. We do everything together very well. Um, And we all know how each other works. So I was like, hey, listen, can we start like small and do a couple things here and there? And eventually, they took over all the photography and everything visual for What's Gabby Cooking. They shoot. They shot the book. They shot the blog. They shoot all my lifestyle stuff, any sort of ad campaign we're doing. Um, and we really crafted what the California Girl look was. And it's evolved over the years, but uh-huh. we have a very... Like we all know what is going to perform well and what I want to look like and you know all that. So, so
2: did you find reference points? Did you spend time with you know together saying, um, you know, these are the filters I want to use. Like how yeah. far down the road did you? Like in what way did you? Yeah. Define it before you started shooting it, and we didn't. It?
3: We didn't when we first started. It was kind of an evolution over the first year. Um, we don't use any filters really. Matt just shoots everything raw and then maybe boost the color a tiny bit, but otherwise there's no editing. Um, and we just want it to feel bright and sunny and colorful. And so that, that works for Matt when he's picking props and shooting. It, it works for Adam when he's styling. It. it works for me when I'm developing it. Like if I'm developing something without color, I won't even finish developing it. It'll never make it to Matt and Adam's studio because I know none of us, we're all going to struggle with it once it's there. Um, So I think we all have those things in our minds when we're creating these um, images now and we get together once every three weeks and shoot all the content for the month and yeah.
2: That's really efficient. And I think you seem um, obsessed with time, understandably. (laughs) I love a to-do list. (laughs) (laughs) Well, because you have so much to get done Mm -hmm. um, and that's a really efficient way to do it if you can... To yeah. shoot so much and Well, and that they're so busy.
3: Like, they're doing a huge campaign with Frito Lay this week. And I'm like, what's got to be cooking is small peanuts compared to like Pepsi and Frito Lay and the Olympics and Coca Cola, whatever they're shooting for. I don't need Food Network. You know, I have to be really organized when I get there because I need to maximize all of our time because they've got bigger paying clients coming in tomorrow.
2: <laughs> so, do you um, have there been times where, because you know them so well, um, you know, you, you hit snags that were hard to get through. Like, is there anything about working with people you know so well where there is a challenge?
3: Yeah, uh, I, know what my, well, I know what recipes will bother them, uh, so I always try and preface it. I'm like, this week we're shooting a board. So if I do a big... Uh, bruschetta bar cheese board that has like 60, not really, that's aggressive, but if it has like 20 (laughs) components to it, that's a lot of things to put in a photo. And it's really hard to style that. And it's hard to capture it all in a photo that's compelling, especially after we've been doing it for four years. yes So I try and do them few and far between because I know Matt doesn't love them. Um, And it's just not... It, it becomes like a tense atmosphere at times, and I don't like that. It's like if I'm there and two of us are kind of in it. It's like mom and dad's fighting, and I don't. It's not a. I don't like it at all. It makes <laughs> it makes me
2: very nervous. And so it sounds like the way you avoid it is um, just thinking through their lens like it's not something that they want and i don't have to do it
3: right right exactly and if if it is something i have to do we'll shoot a first thing of the day so everyone powers through it and then we can like smooth sail from there um and i'll preface it like a couple days ahead like fyi like we're doing another bruce Gettabar. bar like just think about it um now before we get into the
2: studio so and um do they ever get mad at you i mean do you
3: uh, probably, they probably get annoyed with me behind closed doors, but never to my face. Like we're, we love each other very much. <laughs> it's like, it's like family. Like you get mad at your family, They're brothers and you know, all that.
2: So, talking about family, let's talk about your uh, your husband. You you've told this story before, but I find it irresistible. <laughs> uh, you have a, an awesome husband, uh, Thomas. I say awesome, even though I haven't met him, just because yeah, he'll come I, to New York with me next time. Everything <laughs> I've ever heard about him makes him sound just awesome. Everyone wants to know how to find like the perfect guy. I knew I had an idea of how I was going to find my perfect guy, mm-hmm. and I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way I did it was. I looked to the women who had perfect husbands and I was like, you obviously have good taste in men and I want you to find me a husband. Great. And that worked very well for me. Yeah. But you had a different strategy. What was your strategy? Well, so
3: my best friend, Emily, we were, she was 18. She was a freshman in college. I was 17 when I when I graduated high school. And she came over and she's like, we, I was playing tennis. I, I played tennis at St. Mary's. And she's like, we have to look at every athlete on the St. Mary's website. St.
2: Mary's being the college that you went to. Yeah,
3: St. Mary's College up in the Bay Area in California. Um, We need to look at every athlete, basketball, football, baseball, rugby, blah, 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 and find out what teams have the cutest guys. Like, you got to know who to hang out with in the training room. And we went through everybody. And we finished on tennis because I'm like, no, there's no way I'm going to date someone on the tennis team. And we picked out Thomas, and he was like, I think he had like black hair with bleach blonde tips and was wearing like a sweatshirt in his photo and was like way too cool for school. And I'm like, he's definitely the one. I don't know what I was thinking
2: because like really California girl and skater boy
3: yeah I don't know it was well and I wasn't even a California girl at that point I was an Arizona girl that's true so I was just like whatever but I thought he looked great and so I got to college I met him the first day of school at tennis practice and he was too cool for everybody he wouldn't give anyone on the tennis team a time of day but then, you know, fast forward a couple weeks later, we'd always get uh matched up to play mixed doubles together and to train together if it rained because we would move inside and do sprints. And I was just like he's so cute. I love I really like him, like and we would always flirt and then finally he he had a girlfriend at the time. Finally they broke up and we started like kind of talking I had never had a boyfriend period at this point in my life so I was very nervous about being in a relationship and I was I was so hesitant um and then finally we got together and I knew because we were in I was in Tahiti with two of my girlfriends at a tennis tournament and I was like guys let's go get tattoos and they're like great idea what are you gonna get a tattoo of I was like I'm gonna get a dolphin on my ankle and they're like <laughs> that's, Why? that's so not you, Gabby. And I'm like, okay, like I'll just call Thomas. I was a little drunk at this time. I called Thomas, and I'm like, hey, I'm gonna get a tattoo in my ankle. He's like, your mother will kill you. <laughs> I'm like, he's the one. That's it. Like he knows how much I value my mom's opinion. Like
2: uh, done, sign. Where can I? Where can this be over? <laughs> I, I love the idea of you know finding your husband in a photograph, but you know finding someone athletic, yeah. which makes sense. Someone whose team oriented for sure right which is really helpful going to the has the same values goes the same school
3: yeah he we're very different but also he's the yang to my yang like i'm like ah and he's like so cool calm and collected and really like thinks things through and i'm just like crying and like trying to whatever it is like i'm a little more reactive than he is
2: and does that ever get either one of you into trouble? You want to shake him and go, be more emotional. Yeah. And he's like, be more calm. Yeah. Well, so I take him, my family does
3: surprise vacations every year. And so we've been doing it since I was eight or nine. My mom and my sister and I have summer birthdays. My mom hated throwing birthday parties. I would always cry. I'm not a crier, but I would cry a lot at birthday parties. So they were like, "Screw this! We're only going to take you on surprise vacations for birthdays, for, and we'll we'll give you clues and we'll pack for you." And anyways, it's evolved into these very complicated and elaborate trips over the last couple of years. That sounds amazing. It's
2: the best part of my life. Was that the safari or Italy?
3: Uh, Italy was for my birthday, for my 30th birthday. Safari, it was because my mom grew up in South Africa, and I've oh. been like harassing her to take me. Oh. But like, we—I'll give you some clues later. Um, but I post them on my blog now and people email my dad and they're very involved anyways thomas never i'm sorry wait pause so
2: people email your dad oh yeah
3: they're so like people and there's like there he gets like hundreds of these emails every time we post but they're probably like two dozen people that are hardcore they're bruce Mm -hmm. fans and so he gets these crazy emails from them deciphering the clues and some of them have done it really but anyways when thomas finds out he's like cool we're going to the bahamas and i'm like we're going to the Bahamas. Like,
2: give me some emotion, babe. And he's just, it's not him. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I, finding that person who's going to, um, be the yin to your yang is such a great, um, you know, a great way to like lead a complete life Mm -hmm. so that you're not like in, in constant, um, constant battles in doing, in becoming the success That you are with the book, with the blog, with the sort of the um, the lifestyle brand that you've created. What do you think the most? What What do you think the best advice and the worst advice you've ever gotten have been?
3: Oh, the best advice I've ever gotten was don't care what anyone else thinks. Just go do what you got to do, and don't take no for an answer.
2: So, what did you do? Like, what did you do that? People were like, that's stupid.
3: Well, I can tell you. I know exactly. So I really wanted my own line of products. And I was i that was it. I wanted my own line of products, and some people told me, mm, "You're not ready for products like i I think you should do it this way." And I'm like, "No, I don't want to do it this way.
2: What I, would this way have been? I,
3: I don't want to produce it on my own oh. and sell it on my own. I want to team up with a company that is a super reputable, incredible company that's going to partner with me on this, and I can help them, and they can help me And I called called William Sonoma, and we came up, we launched. My first three products last spring, I, three salsas, we did three more products this spring and then we're planning some stuff for next year and it was the best decision I have ever made and I'm so glad I didn't listen to anyone tell me it was the wrong way to do things because they have been the most incredible partner I've ever had in my life and I wouldn't change anything for the world, but I, I, in my gut knew that what everyone else was telling me was wrong and I just disregarded it. Um, so that was probably, that's, don't. You know, like, do it. That's my favorite advice. And the worst? Um... I I mean, people tell me to get – real. this is so, like, silly, but everyone's like, you should get really dressed up for all your TV and public appearances. Like, you should be wearing heels and dresses and all these things. I'm like, that's so not me. I would never do that. So off-brand.
2: Yeah, those people are – Yeah,
3: like, I had a stylist once who put me in all these fancy clothes. I'm like, I've never been more uncomfortable in my life. Like, I totally respect people who buy all these beautiful shoes that are trendy, but they're not me. Like, I'm wearing Nikes. Yeah.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So – I mean – Certainly, yoga pant girl like I can't yeah. imagine. Yeah,
3: you can't put me in a six-inch heel and
2: expect me to cook on the Today Show. Oh, F no, so bad. <laughs> uh, I, I had the pleasure of doing a Chico's ad. Mm-hmm. It was super fun. They wanted uh, role models, you know, not real models. And the whole time I was in in flats. But for what was what turned into the cover shoot for um, for the catalog, they needed me in heels. And I was like, but I don't. I won't be able to walk. So they're like, oh, that's okay. So we walked to the set. You know, I was barefoot. They put the (laughs) shoes on. I, the picture as it (laughs) was published is me hanging on the person to the left, limping on the right (laughs) because I, you know, we were supposed to be like happy and laughing. I'm like, i really was more like happy and wincing because it was fun to, really super fun to do but i'm That's like so I'm, cool. I'm falling Could off these anyone heels anyone else tell you we're falling or just you i think the laughing people couldn't interpret the like my, yeah. my <laughs> laughing is like you can't believe how uncomfortable <laughs> i am and i really can't stand in these shoes and if you don't take that picture right now i'm gonna fall over that was the laugh but it. It, but i think it looked a little bit more like oh my god this is I that hope having the best like, time uh, of my life the uh, time of my, time time my, my time life <laughs> with all of you people and um, and it was uh, it was That's a z- <laughs> so
3: cool they did that for the cover and it like I love that it was
2: so it was really such a fun campaign to do and I met some um, great people great people doing it, but it was also a really good reminder you know I just don't wear heels yeah'
3: it's <laughs> so not they're not meant for everyone not, yeah, we not. are not those people <laughs> um,
2: is there someone who has uh, you admire who we always like to pay it forward mm-hmm. who's we call it the um, like the little hall of fame. Is there someone that you'd nominate to that? Like, you think people That's should, like should know about?
3: about to break a leg and, like, kill it. That would be great. Um, great question. Oh, my God. I want to go through my Instagram account right now and look. Um, I'm obsessed with this girl here in New York. Her blog is called Brewing Happiness. And I think she's just doing such an incredible job with her brand. And she works with other brands like for sponsored content in a really beautiful way. Um, We actually spoke on an IACP panel together this year. Um, I think she's killing it. And I think she's about to like
2: explode. For people who want to work with brands, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the goal, right? Because that's where you make the money. It's
3: it's where you make the most money. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, How did you do that?
3: Um, well, I made a lot of mistakes at the beginning. I worked with brands that I shouldn't have worked with. Um, I worked with a pre-made French fry company and like, I would never buy pre-made French fries and I did it for 250 bucks and I'm like, this is great. I can spend, I got groceries. This was like seven years ago. And my readers were like, all seven of them at the time were like, uh, no. And it made me feel so awful. So I quickly was like, never doing that again. Um, and I've gotten some huge campaigns from people that I have to turn down because they're not, quote unquote, on brand for What's be Cooking. Um, but I think the best way to start working with brands is to just use some products organically, engage with them on social media, like go to different events where you can network with these people, put together a one pager on your stats and what you can offer a brand and send it to them. Um, do you do it all yourself? I don't now. now no. I have a, Now I have a management company, DBA, who I love very dearly, but... Um, at first, yeah, I was doing it all on my own and I was just negotiating everything. I learned how to read a
2: contract. Um, did your business degree help you at all in this regard? Yeah,
3: it did. Because I like, I think a lot of people these days, actually, if you, especially if you have a manager, you depend on your manager to have all the phone calls for you and they just relay information to you and then you go do the creative. I probably much to my manager's, you know, disapproval. I want to be on every phone call. Because I think that's when the best results are gonna happen from a brand is when I understand their messaging and their mission and they understand what I can offer them. And we really talk it out beforehand. I don't wanna work, I don't care how much money you're paying me. If I can't deliver what you want, I don't wanna work with you.
2: And what about um, how big a control freak you are?
3: Such a control freak. I yeah,
2: it's um, a problem. <laughs> <laughs> is it a problem? Like, is there an example of when it's b- become a problem, or do you actually think it's the secret to your success?
3: Um, both. I think it's definitely the secret to my success because I keep my hands on everything, and I get to have my. I get to. I get to make sure it's perfect, even though I think perfect's overrated in terms of like my my brand. Like, I don't want anything to be too perfect, but I want in a, in a business setting, I want it to be perfect. Um, But I also know that I need to learn how to delegate, and I haven't been able to do that yet. Like, I don't have an assistant or anything like that, and I don't, I'm having a hard time being able to relinquish that control, because I can just do it. Like, I can find my own hotels, and I can tell you what flights I want to take, and I just, I don't... mm gives me
2: anxiety <laughs> it's not right but people would say to you it's not scalable like you can't be Gabby right. times 20 correct if you don't have someone booking your hotels
3: right i have a lot of help like matt and adam do all my photography i have someone who helps me with social media but like i'm just very efficient about my time and mm-hmm. i i'm okay right now well i know it's not scalable like 17 people have told me on my book tour i need to like figure it out but i just I
2: can't do it yet <laughs> and what's that about what do you mean like you just think you can do it more efficiently and, and better?
3: Like, I just think I can do it all.
2: Uh-huh. And um, you think you can? I do. You do?
3: Yeah. It's, it's a problem. I know. <laughs> I know it's a problem. Well, <laughs> maybe I haven't found the right person yet. Like, you have to really find someone that you trust and, like, that can do it almost as good as I think I can do it. Um, and I just haven't found them. Have you looked? not really. Uh-huh. I am hoping they just like magically appear in front of my eyes one day.
2: <laughs> if you're listen, if you're listening to the podcast, um you know, yeah, they don't have to live in LA. They can live
3: anywhere, I think. I think. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah.
2: Well, that um, <laughs> and that the uh that happy I can do it all, which is I think really what brought you to where you are, right? That you could do it all. You had you had the vision. You had a strong point of view deep within you that you found mm-hmm. um, that you had some help finding and actually you've had fantastic help along the way. I mean, Lori Buckle was fantastic help. I, I and, would
3: not be where I am without everyone that's helped me.
2: And Matt and Adam, yep. fantastic help along the way. And like a perfect compliment in a husband like that's, so it's not that you, you just, you have understand your own bar for what good help looks like right and it's not overwhelming yet and mm-hmm. so if you got overwhelmed i'm sure you'd find that because you, when you got overwhelmed and you needed someone to shoot your stuff yeah. you found people to shoot your stuff for sure so you're just not you're not quite there yet right you'll get there
3: yeah <laughs> because I, I also have a dad who's obsessive about planning all of our travel and so it's very easy for me to do it like i can this book tour i've been on i've like probably been in 30 cities in the last three months it took me an
2: hour to do all my flights that's nothing yeah, I could never do that. Um, and w- well you did tease one thing that I, I guess is going to be the last uh, moment of the show. What is it about your father and the clues? Oh, surprise vacation Yeah, because you had said, oh well, we could talk about that.
3: Oh so I'll give you a, an example. Um, this was like 10 years ago, so imagine me 10 years not as smart. Um, we were going we were going to the Bahamas and my favorite, this is my favorite clue he's ever done, but the clue was noisy sheep, tasty pig, ah.
2: Okay, New Zealand.
3: Noisy sheep goes bah. Oh, and tasty good. pig is a ham. Yeah. Bah, Bahamas.
2: We get oh, ten clues, but that geez. was
3: one of them. And my sister figured it out. I was so pissed I didn't figure it out, but it's my favorite clue to date. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's all on my blog if you want to read the past like six years worth of clues there. He is I swear, while he's like operating on people, he thinks of the most bizarre things. And has a nurse write them down, and then they become surprise vacation clothes. It's, I don't know how his mind works. It's bizarre. What type of surgery? A prostate surgeon.
2: Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So hmm. he's just. Grab your groin and go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, um, okay. That's it, folks. Thank you so much for listening. Um, Gabi, where can people find you? I'm on
3: whatsgabicooking.com and all social media.
2: And you've got to check out her book if you want to. Cook delicious, simple food um, that's got a ton of flavor and looks really, really pretty. Thank you. And uh, you guys know where to find me: FW Scout on Twitter and Instagram. And a couple of you who sent in um, suggestions of guests, which I love receiving, so keep them coming. And any other comments about the show, love to have them. And as I said, if you like what you hear, uh, subscribe on Stitcher, iTunes, or Heritage, and uh, we'll. Catch you next week. Have a great week.
1: Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter.